We would continue this morning in our message series in the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, find there with me Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2, and just hold your place there for a moment. Daniel chapter 2. In this message series, we are talking about living for Christ in a hostile culture. As our culture grows increasingly hostile toward people of faith, uh, and especially toward Christians. It, sometimes it comes on gradually, sometimes it's sudden, but we are living more and more in a, in a hostile culture, and we're learning from the book of Daniel how to stand firm in that culture and what God wants us to learn. Uh, Chris Evans, the actor Chris Evans, best known for playing a character of morality and even of faith, Captain America, in the Marvel series, has moved on to other things, including uh, uh, Buzz Lightyear. He voices, Chris Evans voices, Buzz Lightyear, and the new prequel to the Toy Story movies, the Disney movie just called Lightyear. Uh, and one of the controversies about the movie was that there is a same-sex kiss, a lesbian kiss, in the Disney movie Lightyear. And when the controversy first started, Disney went back and edited the movie and took out the kiss, uh, but then aggravated by, uh, well, just aggravated, <laughs> Uh, the officials at Disney decided just to put it back in. So uh, the lesbian kiss, if you take your kids to see Lightyear, there is a lesbian kiss in the film. Chris Evans, who voices Buzz Lightyear in the movie, was asked about this in one of the many interviews they do before a movie. And he was asked about critics who say that the film's kissing scene between two female characters pushes a pro-gay agenda. What do you think about that, they said. And this is Chris Evans' response. He said... Well, the real truth is those people are idiots. He said there's always going to be people who are afraid and unaware and trying to hold on to what was before. But those people die off as dinosaurs. I think the goal is to pay them no mind, march forward and embrace the growth that makes us human. Uh, in other words, if you have values and you're a person of faith, Chris Evans thinks you're an idiot. And if not an idiot, at least... At the very least, you're a dinosaur. Your values, our values, will fade out. If you make any objection to uh, a movement that foists upon our children values we don't agree with, you're an idiot and a dinosaur. Now, you may think to yourself, well, that's not really hostility toward Christianity or people of faith, but actually it is. See, one form of hostility is being dismissive of other people, not willing to listen to them. And our culture has already moved in that direction where Christians and people of faith no longer have a voice. We're not allowed to speak. We're canceled or shut off or dismissed. We're, we're just idiots and dinosaurs. And our values belong to a different era and a different generation. Hostility can be dismissive, but hostility can be overt as well. And as we'll see this morning, hostility toward people of faith can also come in the form of pressure to compromise. Pressure to compromise. Daniel's chap Daniel chapter 3 is given to one of the most famous stories in the book of Daniel. You know it as the fiery furnace. But the lead up to it, what happens in the furnace and what happens afterward is, is very significant. And for that reason, Daniel preserved this story for us. And God preserved it for us in great detail. We're going to look at the pressure to compromise today. And characteristics of that pressure to compromise next week we'll look at how to respond to that pressure to compromise. Then we'll look at what happens when you respond the way God wants you to, to that pressure to compromise. We're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 47. 
in the intervening four verses from last year to, excuse me, last week to this morning, uh, as you'll recall, last week was leading up to Daniel receiving from God an interpretation of a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And in, in addition to the interpretation of the, of the dream, God gave Daniel knowledge of the dream, which is what Nebuchadnezzar required so he wouldn't kill all the men of wisdom in Babylon. And God gave that to Daniel. In other words, Daniel not only could tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream, he could tell him the actual dream, something until that moment that only Nebuchadnezzar and God knew. So he tells him his dream. And the aftermath of that, Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel, as we'll read in just a moment, as well as places Daniel's three friends in places of prominence in their government, installs them as government officials. What comes next, however, is the shakeup. The pressure to compromise follows right after that. And what we learn from this is pretty basic. The pressure to compromise always follows a pattern. It has certain characteristics. And you'll recognize yourself in this. If you experience, which you undoubtedly do if you're a follower of Christ, you experience pressure to compromise, you'll recognize this pattern in the story of Daniel. So pick up with me in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to pick up reading at verse 47 as we learn of what comes after Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The Bible says, The king said to Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of lords, and revealer of mysteries, since you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, to manage the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Now let me pause right there. You'll notice there's no reference to time, how much time has passed. Uh, but most scholars believe by now the four young men, Daniel and his three friends, have come into their 20s. Remember, they started in Babylon around 13 or 14 years old. By this point of this story, they're probably young men in their 20s. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you're wondering who set it up, Nebuchadnezzar set it up already been told that, right? Verse 4, a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, and let me pause here from this point forward, we're just going to call it the music, okay? Uh, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, but whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing Fire, Not just a furnace of fire, but a furnace of blazing fire. The language is very specific in the original language. It means this was unlike any other fire. Most likely what this is, is the furnace used to melt metal. And quite likely was the same furnace used to melt the gold that made the statue. Therefore, when all the people heard the music, 
Every kind of music, that is, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews that you appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. All of us experience the pressure to compromise. Sometimes it's more subtle and soft than other times. Uh, the most frequent, of course, is peer pressure. And we experience that all of our lives, starting as children. Peer pressure. Uh, everyone wants you to go along to get along. And sometimes it's more severe and even borderline hostility. It's being sued for making a stand for your values and your faith. It's being pressured at work to go to meetings that have nothing to do with work, but everything to do with ideology in our culture. Uh, the pressure to compromise is always on us. And yet sometimes we feel like this is surprising. We wonder where this comes from. It shouldn't be surprising at all. Jesus told us that, that people hated him first. If you wonder why they hate you, he said, well, they, they hated me first. And we wonder why that pressure to compromise is there. It's always there. And we're going to learn why, and we're going to learn about the pattern of the pressure to compromise this morning because there are specific characteristics that go along with it. And I want you to pay attention to this because it helps us understand how we are to respond as we look at that in the next two weeks and what happens when we respond the way that God wants us to respond. But also this morning, as you investigate these characteristics of the pressure to compromise, let God look into your heart and ask yourself, have you compromised your faith? Have you compromised your faith recently or in the past? Or maybe right now you're under pressure to compromise and you wonder what's going on. Remember, it's what you do next that matters. It's what you do next that matters. So let's go back to the story. Look with me this morning at three characteristics of the pressure to compromise. The first is that the pressure to compromise comes suddenly, sometimes unexpectedly. The pressure to compromise comes suddenly. Uh, we learned at the end of chapter 2 that Daniel and his three friends are not only in good graces with the king and serving faithfully in Babylon, Daniel has been promoted. He's been promoted to a place of government administration. He's serving the king in the king's court, and he is now over all the other wise men of Babylon. And in this coveted role, he has requested of the king, and the king has assented to his request that his three friends be placed in positions of prominence in the government of Babylon as well. Very rare indeed, since they are not native Babylonians, they are Jews. Now there's a hint of something here significant. If you've been following the story, you know that Daniel and his three friends were being educated and trained to serve in the king's court. Uh, so the question now is, why is Daniel, Daniel the only one serving there and the three friends have been, been put outside the king's court to serve in other areas of government? And the most likely answer to that is Daniel himself making that request was doing his best to preserve his friends 
from the kind of persecution that would ultimately come from a Jew serving in a pagan king's court. It was the one place that he knew one day he would be pressured to compromise. And we'll see that coming up later, won't we? So here's the irony of the story that that the three friends who are now serving in the government are the first ones pressured to compromise by the government itself. It comes suddenly. Everything's going well. And for a few years, if not several, they've been serving in their positions faithfully. They've been doing the right thing, uh, serving in Babylon and faithful Jews. They haven't compromised their faith. There's no hint of that whatsoever. They haven't been pressured to compromise at this point. But in the meantime, Nebuchadnezzar is building a gold statue. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly what the statue is of, but there's really only two options. One, it's a statue of himself, and that's what most scholars believe, or the other, it's a statue of a god called Marduk. Marduk is the god of the Babylonians, so it's one of those two options. Either way, the point of the story is it's a golden idol, nine stories high, 90 feet and nine feet wide. It's a monstrosity. And then he takes this idol out onto a plain outside of the city. The plain is called Dura, and the word Dura just means flat plain. So scholars are not exactly sure where it was, but there's a good chance uh, they've identified the site as being about six to ten miles outside the city of Babylon. Uh, the reason for that was, was so that, first of all, the, the statue, this monstrosity, could be set up and would be the only object of attention on the plain of Dura. Uh, it's not inside the city, so you don't miss it because the buildings are tall. No, it's out there on the plain, so everyone sees it. And secondly, so everyone can get there and be there for what comes next. But it's likely another reason was, so the furnace used to melt the gold could also be set up out there. So that when, when the dictate was, if you don't bow down, you burn to death, they could point at the furnace and say, there's no downtime here. There's no trial in court. If you do not bow, you die today. So the statue is set up. Now pay attention to this. All of these government officials show up. And that, that's, it's a gradation of government officials. From royalty all the way down to the city and town officials. Everybody shows up, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They show up on the premise that they are there for the dedication of the statue. And there's no evidence that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a problem with that. They don't have a problem with that. There's no problem with them standing out on the plain of Dura and going, yay, when the statue was unveiled. They don't have a problem with that. And then suddenly the rules change. Have you ever had that happen to you? They are told by a herald, now that you are all here, we're not just here for a dedication. You are to worship. That's the reason for the music. When the worship music plays, fall to your knees and bow before the great idol King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It really doesn't matter whether it was a a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar or a statue of Marduk, the point is King Nebuchadnezzar set it up. So if you bow down to the idol, you're not only committing idolatry as a Jew, you are also committing assent 
to Nebuchadnezzar and his values and his ways. He's the one that set it up. He planned the whole thing. And just like that, the rules change. Happens all the time, doesn't it? You go out with friends for burgers, and after you finish the burgers, one of them says, hey, let's go get drinks. And just like that, the rules have changed. You've been working your job three, four, five years, a job that when you took it, you told your employer, I don't work on Sundays, and then suddenly the person that works on Sunday gets a new job, or you get a new manager, and now you are under pressure to compromise. If you don't work on Sunday, you lose your job. You've been working in industry, you're working with this employer for years, and then suddenly they come in and say, you've got to sit in on this diversity training and sign off that you agree with it, or you lose your job. The culture has a way of changing the rules, don't they? And that's why the pressure to compromise seems to come suddenly. Everything's going well, everything's going fine. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing what you agreed to do. And the rules change. Many of our teachers are finding this out rapidly. As books and curricula are being inserted into our public schools and in our colleges and universities where students are finding this out, that's not what we signed up for. We didn't say we would check out to students' books and have students read books that validate same-sex unions. And relationships. We didn't, we didn't sign on for that. The rules change. And now you're under pressure to compromise. It happens suddenly. Don't be surprised by that. Instead, as we'll see, know in advance where you stand. Know in advance where you stand. Because there's one thing for certain. The pressure to compromise will always test your faith. Uh, the pressure to compromise is an opportunity to decide what you really believe about God and whether or not he'll come through for you. So the first thing we see is the pressure to compromise comes suddenly. The second thing we see, the second characteristic, is that the pressure to compromise spreads rapidly. Spreads rapidly. In the story as we read it, the government officials and their titles are delineated in great detail, and, that, and that's intentional. Uh, there is a domino effect here because first we start with royalty, then we go to governors, and then we go to our version of mayors, and then it just works its way down to the treasurers and the government officials all along the way until you get to the ones at the end, the, the ones that uh, are in charge of smaller areas and provinces. And Nebuchadnezzar did this intentionally, and the Bible records it in detail intentionally because the, the pressure to compromise always spreads. When you see your boss bow down, the pressure is greater for you to bow down. You don't want to lose your job. You don't want to think, uh, you don't want your boss to think less of you. You don't want to miss out on that next promotion. You look over and your boss is bowing down. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand? Or are you going to bow down? The pressure is much greater. And each step down along the way, the pressure spreads and increases. But here's a question, why just the government officials? Why did Nebuchadnezzar not have all the town and all the city come out? Because the officials represent the people. So by default, when the officials bow down, that they are proxies of the people. They go home and they say to everyone, we bow down today. You now worship the golden idol because I did. They worship by proxy. That was the government of the day. 
a pressure to compromise has a tendency to spread rap- rapidly and impact everybody in its circle of influence. Have you ever noticed that? And when you cave or when I cave to the pressure to compromise, it's not just us that it impacts or affects. It impacts and affects a lot of people. Dads, listen. When you stand for your faith and for what's right, it impacts your family. When you cave to compromise, it impacts your family. Your kids see that happen. They know about you. They know what's going on. The pressure to compromise impacts everyone depending on how you respond to it. Your circle of influence will be impacted by that pressure to compromise. It's amazing. It spreads rapidly. It's sort of like inflation. It infects everything, gets out of control, gets out of hand. It's amazing how the pressure to compromise can touch everybody involved in an organization or in a family. But you really only need that one person, dads. You really only need that one person to say, no, this is where we stand. This is what we believe. Then, last, the pressure to compromise targets you personally. Targets you personally. The pressure to compromise follows the path of least resistance until it hits resistance. It spreads throughout the organization, throughout the people, throughout the town, uh, throughout the family, and then suddenly it bumps into someone who will not compromise, who won't bend to the pressure. So do, do the people applying the pressure, does the government applying the pressure, does the organization, the job applying the pressure, do they pull back and say, oh, that's okay, you don't need to compromise? No, not at all. Instead, they zero in. You're in the crosshairs now. Uh, You are the baker who stands for their values, so they come after you. You're the florist that stands for their values, so they come after you. They don't care what the atheists do. They don't care what the secularists do. They care that the person of faith is standing for values that contradict the culture. At rock bottom, people that pressure you to compromise, listen, they're cowards. They are. And they know if they let you stand, If you go unchallenged, it reinforces the fact that they caved when they should have stood. So when you stand firm, be aware. They're not going to let it go. And many times the hostility will increase even more against you. Picture in your mind that day on the plain of Dura in the hot Babylonian sun, this nine-story, 90-foot idol rising up out of the landscape. Hundreds of government officials hear the music play and they fall to the ground, their faces and down, they're on their knees. And the military personnel in charge of that day, trying to please Nebuchadnezzar, look out across the plain and there's three guys just standing there. They're not causing a ruckus. They're not carrying posters. They're not protesting. They're not running away. They're just standing there. Now, according to the story, what those in charge of that day did, they went running to Nebuchadnezzar. These three men 
listen, that Daniel told you to put in charge of those areas of government. They refused to bow to the idol that you set up. It's an offense to you, king. If they're not bowing to your idol, they're not bowing to you. If they're not doing what you want, it's an offense to you. They're disobeying the greatest king, the greatest empire at the time. Are you going to let them get away with it? Because King Nebuchadnezzar, you, you already said there would be a, a result. There would be a consequence to the refusal to bow down. See, that's another thing about the pressure to compromise. When those in charge or those that pressure you take action, it always requires of you, a person of faith, it requires of you some kind of reaction. How do you know what the reaction should be? Here it is, and dads, listen very carefully. Decide in advance what you'll do. Decide in advance what you stand for. Decide in advance because you can know without question you will be pressured to compromise. There is no doubt about it. Whether it comes from soft peer pressure or it comes from a hostile work culture, you will be pressured to compromise. Decide in advance how you will respond, just like those three young men did. They trusted God. They're just going to stand on the plane and see what happens next. Joe Kennedy is an assistant football coach in Washington State. For eight seasons, Joe Kennedy had a habit, had a practice. No one challenged it. In fact, most folks liked it, and many of the student athletes would join him. And some other coaches would join him as well. After a game was over, he would kneel. After all the goodbyes were said, the, the other team had started to depart, he would kneel on the football field and he would offer a prayer, 10, 15 seconds. Didn't take long. He did that for eight seasons. Then someone filed a lawsuit. This lawsuit against him and against the school cries out that it's a violation of separation of church and state for an assistant football coach to to kneel on the field because they say it, it pressures the students to feel like they have to kneel and pray as well. And as it's rattled through the courts, now it's at the Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court will decide in the United States of America whether a coach can kneel on a football field and pray. If you have not experienced the pressure to compromise, you will. And it's in that moment you'll find out your courage, your confidence, and you'll find out what you really believe about God if he will take care of you. And maybe you're already in the crosshairs. Maybe it's already narrowed down to you. You're the one that will not compromise. And the pressure is growing on you. Stand firm. God knows what's going on. Remember, Jesus said, they hated me before they hated you. Remember, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Remember, Jesus knows what you're going through. I'm going to pray for us. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, because I want to ask you a question. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Are you being pressured to compromise? Maybe right now, you sense that pressure. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's family, maybe it's the workplace, and you want to stand firm for your values. And you see these characteristics in that pressure to compromise. I want to pray for you. If that's you, just lift your hand up where you are. Lift your hand up where you are. Good. 
good. Thank you. Hands down. Now, still heads bowed, eyes closed, because I want to tell you this. If you have compromised, God loves you. If you've compromised your faith, if you gave in, and you're, and God is showing you that right now, right now on your heart, the Spirit of God is speaking to you about that compromise. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it's right in front of you. You know what it is. God knows what, God knows what it is. I'm going to pray with you that God would forgive you as well. Maybe you're in this room today or at home. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. In a moment, I'm going to pray with you a simple prayer that you can pray in faith to put your faith and trust in Christ today. Heavenly Father, God, we want to thank you for your grace and your love toward us. Father, you know we are not perfect. And you know, God, as we seek to stand for Christ, the, the laser zeroes in on us. And the more we stand firm, even if we're not loud about it, not belligerent about it, but God, the world around us hates that. They hate a believer that will not compromise. So Father, first, I want to ask for those who raise their hands and for all of us and those at home, God, I want to ask you would be with us in this moment, Father. I want to thank you that your word affirms that we're doing the right thing, standing for what is right. Clarify that in our hearts. Lift the burden and lift the fear and lift the worry of, of losing our job or losing friends or, or uh, losing family members, whatever it is. God, take that away and help us again to put our faith in you. We trust you, God, for the outcome of this situation. And we thank you, God, for an opportunity for you to glorify yourself in our lives as we stand firm against the pressure to compromise. God, for those pressured so, I pray, Father, for them, that they would have that courage and that confidence in you today. Father, if we have compromised in the past, in the present, in the middle of our moment now, God, if we're, if we're facing that time and we've said yes to something we should have pulled away from, if we've uh, followed through with something that we knew was wrong, if we made a decision, God, to do something that doesn't please you. Father, if we've caved to compromise. For all of us, God, I ask your forgiveness for that. Please forgive us, Father. And I pray, God, that you would cleanse us of that sin. We confess that to you. We start fresh and new today. Grow us in Christ to be more like Jesus, that we would walk faithfully for Christ from this point forward. Father, I pray, God, for those who need Christ as their Savior today. And God, your word reveals to us Jesus and Jesus alone can forgive us of our sins when we ask him in faith. So, Father, for those in this room and at home, that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray this prayer of faith that they would pray it to you in their hearts today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. And Jesus, I know that I have failed you often. I see clearly that I can't be good without you. So, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. And I repent of my sin. I turn my back on that. And I come to you today in faith. Please, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. Give me a home in heaven. From this point forward, I will follow Christ. God, for all of us, I pray that if we're at a turning point in our lives, if we're at a moment in our lives when we need to stand for our faith, you would show us that. But in all things, God, give us the courage and the confidence to believe your word, to live for Christ day by day, even when we're pressured to compromise or even maybe when it seems easy to live for Christ. Father, help us not to stumble and fall, but to always live for Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray.